ESPN Radio. Listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Candy Call in line, 888 say ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber, right now we're going to go out to the Candy Call in line to bring on New York Post sports columnist Ian O'Connor and also the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. And Ian, it's great to have you on and we got to talk about the Masters because you were down there in Augusta this weekend and you had a chance to get a sense of the vibe, the feel of the event with Tiger Woods participating in it after 14 months removed from the car accident that nearly claimed his life. What was it like being a part of the, the crowd and watching Tiger Woods walk around the golf course and be back around the sport in this capacity? Well, first off, Chris, just being there, uh, leaving the Final Four after the Duke-UNC game, which was a classic, and then getting there Monday morning and waiting for Tiger to show up, which he did. He actually teed off Monday morning, uh, or Monday afternoon around 2.30, 2.45. And I have never in my life, I've done 22 Masters, I have never seen a practice round gallery the size of that. And just the, it felt like a Sunday. It was unbelievable to see him go around and just the, the electricity really, and we're already we're days out before the first round, and it really did feel like a, a weekend at the Masters. It was unbelievable. And then, of course, walking with him on Thursday in the first round, I, I thought it was one of the more remarkable things he's ever done, just, just showing up and competing. And I did ask him after that round when he shot 71, one under par, if even though you've said your entire career that you never enter a tournament without winning and that the only way you define victory is by winning a tournament – does this equal a W in your mind? And he said yes. And I was actually – I think everybody who was there who heard it was was almost shocked that he said yes to that because of his previous stance over the years. And, and he explained just, just by being here and being part of this tournament is something I just never, ever thought was possible. So there were two different stories this entire week. There was the Tiger tournament, and then there was the Scheffler tournament, and both were pretty damn good. Both were very, very good stories. Now, Ian, going into the Masters, if you had asked me before I knew Tiger was playing, I think I would have said the sport's going to be just fine without Tiger. Obviously, Tiger's a huge draw, but I felt like he left the sport in good hands if he was never able to golf again because there's so many bright young stars now in golf, and Scotty Scheffler certainly enters that conversation in his own right. But then I saw the practice rounds that you were just describing, and I thought, ah, maybe I was a little too quick to assume that golf doesn't necessarily need Tiger Woods anymore. What is your assessment on that? Well, Amber, I think and just being around doing this for 36, 37 years, I actually think golf still does because it was a fringe sport before he arrived. It was not the NFL, the NBA, Major League Baseball. And when Michael Jordan left basketball, well, guess what? Kobe Bryant was there, and then LeBron James was there after him. Now, I'm not saying those guys are quite as good as, as Michael Jordan, but close enough and they were electric superstars that, that could carry a league. And I don't see any Kobe and LeBrons on the PJ Tour. I, I think Rory's good, and I think Jordan Spieth is good, and, and, and there are a few others, Morikawa, obviously, Scheffler. But I don't think they can carry a sport in the wake of Tiger. I really don't. So I think golf needs to hold on to him as long as possible 
because there's just no one who's ever been remotely close to him in this sport anyway. I think Tiger Woods is the first and only golfer to ever be the most recognizable athlete on the planet. In fact, in his prime, maybe even now, Tiger Woods is one of the four or five most recognizable men, I think, alive. And, and I don't think golf's ever had that, and I don't think in my lifetime anyway it will ever have it again. So if Tiger can still win or at least compete at a high level, I think golf needs to ride that wave as long as possible. Talking with Ian O'Connor from the New York Post on ESPN Radio. And, Ian, Tiger Woods committed to playing in the Open Championship in July across the pond. And, you know, everybody's speculating on whether or not Tiger is capable of winning another major. With you watching him up close and personal this weekend, do you think he's capable, even at this advanced age in the sport, of being able to win another major championship? Yes. Yeah, I do. And – and then when he said Tuesday that he, he thought he could win this Masters, I believed him because he's earned the benefit of all doubt. And I was there in 2019 when people thought he'd never win a major again, and he did. So he's one of the greatest athletes the country's ever produced. And so I actually think he does have one more magical major Sunday in his bag. Will it be at St. Andrews in July? Well, he's won there a couple of times. He loves the place as much as he loves Augusta. It's flat. It's going to be a much easier walk for him. we got to believe that his leg will be in better shape at that point. Now, I don't know what he's going to do, Chris, in between here. Is he going to play the PGA Championship in Tulsa? Is he going to play the U.S. Open in Brookline up in the Boston area? Or is he going to take a pass on those two and just try to get his body ready for St. Andrews? That, that to me, is going to be fascinating to watch. But I, I suspect at some point in the next two, three years, I'm not saying it's going to be this year, Tiger will win again. I think he'll break Sam Snead's record. They're tied now at 82 PJ Tour victories all time. And I think he'll get to 16 majors. I do. Let's talk about Scotty Scheffler for a second because uh, there's no golfer on a hotter streak uh, than Scotty Scheffler. Just 25 years old is the world number one. He wins the master. Only a handful of guys have ever done that. And he cruised to a victory on Sunday, even with that four putt double bogey on 18. I mean, he really dominated all four days except for he's not the betting favorite to win the PGA championship right now. Where do you think that this is going for Scotty Shuffler? What should be the expectation for him moving forward? Well, until I see otherwise, I, I would make him the betting favorite at the PGA and the guys won four times in two months. This is tiger stuff that he's doing. And, and it's pretty amazing. And he said he wore tiger shoes and, and shirts and tiger brand irons. He was using as well this week. So maybe it's fitting 25 years after Tiger won the Masters for the first time, but I went to high school with his father. I knew his father a long time ago, and his father was kind of a tough, scrappy basketball player, and I think Scotty has a lot of mental toughness, and even though I was shocked to hear him say that, that he was weeping Sunday morning and, and he, the pressure got to him since he was holding the lead uh, back to Friday afternoon, I was really shocked to hear that and that he got it together because he seemed so unflappable out there and so mentally tough that uh, I was surprised that he had to endure that, overcome that Sunday morning. But until somebody beats him, he's clearly the best player on the planet right now. I suspect this is not going to be the only major he ever wins and certainly not the only masters either, but he's got, there's, he doesn't have a weakness. He doesn't have, he's long enough. He's got a short game and, and he's, and he's got that poise that very few people have under pressure. So I think he's going to win a lot of a lot of majors in the next five to ten years, without question. 
Ian, when it comes to Rory McIlroy in Augusta National, he's always a bridesmaid, never a bride. That's the major championship that continues to elude him. He finished second to Scotty Scheffler in the tournament this past weekend. How is he playing, and what is your expectations for him this season? Well, I think the uh, the, the bunker hole out on 18 and then throwing the club into the sand and the celebration, of course, Morikawa came on top of that. I don't think I've ever seen that at, uh, at any major championship. But he played great on Sunday. Of course, he was sort of out of it. The pressure was off. And then he almost got to a point where he could contend for a playoff. I I think he'll win the Masters. He talked the other day about fatherhood taking some pressure off him and that he realizes now that he needs to alleviate his own burdens going into Augusta National. And I think at some point he keeps knocking on the door. He'll break through and win the career grand slam, the final leg of it. But he hasn't won a major since 2014. And you have these good young players now coming up that Cantley and Morikawa and Scheffler, they're not backing down. So it's only going to get tougher from a competitive standpoint in, the, in these majors for him. But I have a hard time believing he's going to stay locked into four major championships for the rest of his career. He's just too good for that. So I, I think he'll win a Masters at some point in the next five years and maybe two or three more majors. It's, it's a Hall of Fame career already. But one of the things about him, too, he's one of the most thoughtful athletes you'll ever meet. And, and I'd like to see that happen for him because, because of the way he carries himself and what he's meant to the sport. Well, Ian, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. Thanks for helping us paint the picture on what happened this weekend down at the Masters. We'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Chris and Amber. Take care. All right, that's New York's Post Sports columnist Ian O'Connor, also the author of New York Times bestseller, Coach K, The Rise and Reign of Mike Krzyzewski. Coming up next, which NFL team that missed the playoffs in 2021 will make it in 2022? Amber Wilson and I will tell you. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN Radio. Spring's eternal in the NFL offseason. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on Twitter at AmberW790 at ChrisCanny99. And so, Amber, we teased the question, which NFL team that missed the playoffs last year is going to make it in 2022? And during the break, we tried to break this thing out into two separate categories. And off the top, you had an issue with where I put your Miami Dolphins because we've got the obvious answers with the Colts, Broncos, Ravens, and Chargers. And then we've got the not-so-obvious answers being the New Orleans Saints, the New York Jets, the Miami Dolphins, the Cleveland Browns, the New York Giants, and that would be about it. So I don't understand why you feel like the Dolphins belong in the obvious answers category because it seems like those other four teams are clearly a cut above. Well, first of all, let's reveal to the listener what really happened behind the curtain, which is where Chris Canty didn't even want to put the Dolphins in the conversation at all when we were talking That's about not true. teams That's not that didn't true. make the That you, is not initially, true. Initially, we were having the conversation where we said teams that didn't make the playoffs, we were going to make the playoffs, and I said the Dolphins, and you said, let me tell you things that aren't going to happen. And then Devin or somebody threw out the New York Giants, and I said, let me tell you things that aren't going to happen. And then we decided, well, let's create a separate category from teams that aren't obvious 
obvious. And then those two teams ended up in the separate category for things that aren't obvious. I would put the Dolphins in the obvious category. I agree with you that the Colts are in that conversation, that the Broncos are in that conversation, that the Ravens should be healthy, so they should be in that conversation. And the Chargers also, with their offseason moves and the advancement that they should just take as a team, they should certainly be in that conversation. So, So should my Miami Dolphins, a team that was nine and eight last season and finished with a winning record, a team that then went on to completely add weapons at every point where they needed them. They upgraded the running backs to give two of the help in the backfield with Mostert and Edmonds. They brought in Tyreek Hill and said Wilson. They got Teron Armstead and helped that line tremendously. They got stronger everywhere they needed to on offense. They kept their D coordinators in place even after Brian Flores' departure, and they brought in a young, exciting coach. I understand, too, is the question mark. I get it. But we're talking about making the playoffs. We're not talking about winning a Super Bowl. Yes, we're talking about making the playoffs in a division where it feels like there are two teams that are clearly better than you are. That two, made the playoffs oh, last about, year uh-huh. with the Buffalo Bills two? and the New England Patriots. I just, I just the don't think Patriots? they belong in the. I just don't believe that they belong in the obvious answers category, Amber, because those other teams that we mentioned—the Colts, Broncos, Ravens, and Chargers—let me tell you what they don't have: a question mark at quarterback, and that's the most important position. In the sport today, all of the division winners from 2021 had the best quarterback in the division that year. So I I just don't understand how we can assign that level of success to the Miami Dolphins. Now, I'll say this about the Dolphins. When it comes to teams like the New York Giants, when it comes to teams like the New York Jets, I, I absolutely have to put them ahead of those programs because those are two teams that are tied for the worst record in the NFL since 2017. The Miami Dolphins have had 19 wins over the past two years. So it's clearly a team that's capable of competing and getting into the playoffs. But I don't necessarily know that I think that that's an obvious answer given what we're talking about with those other teams that they're going to be competing against. And also looking at the conference that they're in, Amber, The AFC is going to be tough sledding with the arrival of Russell Wilson and with Deshaun Watson coming back. Like There's a lot going on in that conference. I don't know that I'm ready to say that Tua Tagovailoa is going to be able to help the Miami Dolphins compete against some of the teams that they're going to be going up against. Now, when you want to talk about the strength of that conference, then fine, that makes sense. That's a legitimate argument to be made. When you want to talk about that division, though, and the New England Patriots being clearly better, I mean, I don't know. I don't even know if the Patriots are going to be better than the Jets, frankly. So I don't know what Amber, we're let me doing ask you a question. there. Do you trust Mac Jones or two or more? I don't trust either of them. No, I trust but, but Bill Belichick saying, which one more, do you, which I guess. One do you trust more? I don't know you, if, if Mac, you have to Mac pick Jones one, really, which I mean, one. See, you don't want to do it. You're being a Dolphins homer. Is Mac you Jones a pro bowler because you're, Mac you're, Jones you're, is so great or because his coach was Bill Belichick? See, Amber, you avoiding answering the question is answering the question. You don't trust your quarterback. So they don't belong in the obvious answer category. But I will say this. When we start breaking down the two categories, the four teams, the Colts, the Broncos, the Ravens, the Chargers, which one do you feel strongest about out of that grouping that's going to make the playoffs the Chargers. In, in 2022? The Chargers to me. Because the Chargers to me are the team that, frankly, I, should have made the playoffs last season. You referenced it when you said 
that the teams with the most success don't have question marks at quarterback. Well, there's no question marks for that Chargers team at at quarterback. There was already no question marks at quarterback for that Chargers team, but because uh, they needed some help in some other areas, which man, the offseason moves and that defense is going to be so, so dirty with that pass rush. Like the Chargers did make some serious moves here this offseason, in addition to a team that I think would have developed and gotten better anyways. So for me, the Chargers are that team that I would expect to take the next step. Uh, I mean, I could have the same conversation. Obviously, the Broncos, though, are a huge upgrade Mm -hmm. with Russell Wilson. I I mean, the Ravens should be healthy, assuming Lamar gets his contract worked out. I mean, I do think the Colts upgraded, of course, at that quarterback position as well with Matt Ryan. I just think the Chargers are that team. I expect the Chargers to take a big leap out of those if we're having a conversation out of those four. And frankly, we probably could have put the Browns in the obvious answers if we were confident that Deshaun Watson was playing all season, but we have no idea what's happening with them. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to watch. There's a report out there now that's saying that the civil cases are not even going to go to trial or be resolved until 2023. So it's more wait and see. We'll have to we'll have to figure out what the NFL is going to do, if anything, on the discipline front. But when it comes to that grouping, Amber, I, I, I hear where you're coming from with the Chargers. It's just such a tough division that I have a hard time picking them. I'm going with an answer that might not be so obvious, although this team falls in the obvious category, the Indianapolis Colts, because that is a low bar to clear in the AFC South. You're talking about the Tennessee Titans, and the Colts, if they get competent quarterback play from Matt Ryan, which I think they should, given the talent that's on that roster on both sides of the ball, and knowing how well coached they are, I have a hard time seeing them not being back in the playoffs. Even if it's a situation where they've got to be a wild card, you're talking about playing the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars twice every single year. That's four wins right there. I I don't know that Jags team was big money spenders. Yeah, big money spenders, but I don't know that that's necessarily going to lead to them having a success in year one of all of those new contracts that they just signed up for with those players. And plus, you're talking about a little bit of a learning curve with installing new systems on both sides of the ball in a second-year quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. So I don't know that the Jags are going to be right there. I do think they'll be better. But again, when it comes to looking at the Colts roster versus the Jags roster, it's really no comparison. You got an MVP candidate in your backfield in Jonathan Taylor. You got an offensive line that's built like a brick wall. And you have a top-flight defense with playmakers at all three levels. So I – I really like where this Colts team is, and I know that there's a question mark about the skill position players, but at the same time, I I trust Matt Ryan to be able to figure that out. Okay, really quickly, Amber, before we move on, the not-so-obvious teams, the Saints, the Jets, the Dolphins, the Giants, and we're going to exclude the Browns for the purposes of the conversation. Saints, Jets, Dolphins, Giants, who you got? Well, obviously, out of that group, I, I genuinely do have the Dolphins. And I know it sounds like I'm being a homer here since I am a Dolphins fan. But I, I do think that they have upgraded everywhere they needed to upgrade on that offense. That defense was already elite down in Miami. I don't know. There's a lot of question marks, obviously. You have an entirely you know different regime there coaching the offense. Tua certainly still has his question marks. But I really do think the Dolphins can take that next step. And I don't agree with you that the Patriots are, are 
leaps and bounds better than this Dolphins team with this reconstructed roster for the Dolphins. Obviously, the Bills do own that division. I'll give you that. Mm. But outside of the Bills, I'm not willing to say that. So I do think that the Dolphins have an opportunity here. That conversation, to your point, would be the Browns if the Browns were part of this. But I I don't think either of us want to get into the minutia of what happens there with Deshaun Watson. Not at all. And I will say this. I think I agree with you with the not-so-obvious answers as to what team can make the playoffs. I think it is the Dolphins when you consider that grouping, but I don't feel great about it. I'm not going to say it with my chest. Coming up next, which team does our next guest think will go from missing the playoffs to making the playoffs in 2022? We'll ask her. You're listening to Amber Wilson, Chris Canney, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on the Canny call in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber, right now, we got to go out to the Canny call in line to bring on ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes. And Mina, we always appreciate a few minutes of your time. Before we ask you about the NFL, I got to ask you about what's going on in the NBA because I'm looking at the notes in the rundown, and this is news to me. It might not be news to everybody else, but this is breaking news to me. You're a Brooklyn Nets fan, and as somebody that's from the tri-state area, that lives in the tri-state area, unless you were a fan of the Nets when they were in New Jersey, it, I don't know. It kind of feels like you would be fraudulent if you're not if you're somebody that just jumps on the bandwagon. So you got to explain that story to me about how you became a Brooklyn Nets fan and how you're feeling about your team going into the playing game against the Cavs on Tuesday. Chris, I am 100% fraudulent. I I do not shy away (laughs) from that at all. I became a fan of the Brooklyn Nets uh, in February 2021 as a bit to make people angry, and then I stuck with it. Uh, because I was just watching so many Nets games as a troll that I actually kind of ended up liking, enjoying watching the team. So um, <laughs> I am the rare uh, Brooklyn Nets fan spotted in the wild, pure bandwagon, um, excited with how things shook out, getting the Cavs, I think is a decent matchup for them. And then ultimately Boston, if they move on, little nervous, you know, about um, some of the injuries, uh, you know, it looks like Dragic is going to play, but he's a little bit, he's been kind of coming off the COVID and then, um, Seth Curry's banged up, but I think they've got a pretty good shot of winning the plan. Is Ben Simmons going to be part of it, Mina? Well, it's, it's the million dollar or like much more the million dollar question because there's so many conflicting reports. I mean, on one hand, Steve Nash is telling us he's acting like Ben Simmons is going to play for like 50 years. But then on the other hand, the Brooklyn Nets Twitter account is tweeting videos. <laughs> so I really don't know. I think it, it certainly won't happen in this and the play-in possibly in the second round and would, of course, be tremendous. Not uh, for you know They don't need Ben Simmons to play entire game just to get 20 solid minutes of great defense from him, I think, would be helpful. All right, Mina, we're going to switch over to the NFL, and we asked the question earlier in our show, which team that didn't make the playoffs in 2021 would make the playoffs in 2022? And, of course, there are the obvious answers, right? The Indianapolis Colts because they added Matt Ryan – the Denver Broncos because they added Russell Wilson, the L.A. Chargers. There are teams like that that fit in. The Baltimore Ravens, you know, not being ravaged by injury. But we did have a list of not-so-obvious answers with the Miami Dolphins, the New Orleans Saints, the New York Giants, and the New York Jets. 
which team that doesn't necessarily seem like an obvious answer is going to make the playoffs this year from your perspective? I think the teams that you just named, one that stands out to me is the Saints because they still have a very good defense. If you get a full year, you know, James Winston, you have improved quarterback play, and they made this move trading with the Eagles to pick up a, a couple extra or an extra pick in the draft, um, which I think suggests that they view themselves as a win-now roster. Now, I could be wrong, and they could be moving to get a quarterback or something crazy, but if they stick with those picks, I think they have the ability to address wide receiver, left tackle. They might also – there's some free agent options as well. And also, guys, they get to play the Falcons and the Panthers. <laughs> so um, I think they've got a relatively decent shot of making the playoffs in what is obviously the weaker conference this year. So, Mina, that conversation led to a heated conversation behind the curtain between me and Chris Canty and our producers because we were having a conversation that went down the path of my Miami Dolphins. And Chris Canty had said mm. that the New England Patriots are very obviously better in that division, along, of course, with the Buffalo Bills than the Dolphins are. And I took issue with that. And then Chris Canty also very much believes that Mac Jones is leaps and bounds better than Tua Tungvaloa. So go ahead and help settle this for us. I know, of course, Mac Jones is coming off of a Pro Bowl, but are we sold on Mac Jones outright? And are the Patriots definitely better than the Miami Dolphins? Uh, I'm on your side. I don't think they're definitely better, and I don't think Mac Jones is, you know, world's better than Tua Tagovailoa. Um, Mac Jones got to play behind a very good offensive line uh, with uh, a very good coordinator. Granted, not very good receivers, whereas Tua has been in hell for a couple of years, so he's been really hard to evaluate. That's obviously going to change this year, and if he doesn't succeed this year, I think we can definitively say, um, you know, he, he he hasn't lived up to his draft pick. But I also think the Patriots had a surprising amount of holes in their roster. You know, just getting ready for the draft and looking at team needs, I was shocked. You know, we talk a lot about the meet with wide receiver. Obviously, they traded for Devontae Parker. But have you looked at this cornerback room lately, guys? After letting J.C. Jackson walk out the door, it is a problem. And it's a problem I imagine they're going to try to address in the draft, but a problem nonetheless. We said the same thing after they moved on from Stephon Gilmore, too. And I just know that Bill Belichick continues to figure it out. We're talking with ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes on ESPN Radio. And, Mina, a lot of people are saying that this quarterback draft class is not the best. I remember hearing the same thing about the 2017 quarterback draft class, and all they did was produce Deshaun Watson and Pat Mahomes. So I got to ask you, what's your evaluation of this quarterback draft class, and who's going to be the first QB that's off the board later this month? Yeah, I mean, the college tape is not enthralling. <laughs> I mean, when you watch it, there's no, to me, surefire NFL starters. However, it's very hard to predict how um, guys transition to the NFL, and more likely than not, you know, one of them will work out. I, I understand why Willis is kind of universally seen as the first quarterback off the board just because of his incredible tools, the deep ball, the rushing ability. Um, you know, there's a massive leap there to the NFL. But I think in a class where – there aren't pro-ready quarterbacks. I would say Desmond Ritter actually looks pretty pro-ready to me, but where there's a lot of question marks, it makes sense. I understand why a team would rather take the home run swing on the guy with the most upside. Mina, finally here, the Cleveland Browns right now have four quarterbacks on their roster. And obviously signing Deshaun Watson from a football perspective, that made sense. And then when they signed Jacoby Brissett, it was like, okay, well, that's going to be Watson's backup. And then they were trying to figure out what to do with Baker. But now they go and they also sign Josh Dobbs. And this was confusing to me because I thought, isn't this hurting their bargaining positioning in terms of trying to move Baker Mayfield? What are they doing here signing all these quarterbacks right now? 
Well, I don't think they had any bargaining positioning to begin with because it was so obvious um, that they were, you know, going to try to move on from Baker. Granted, there's a question as to when, you know, it's possible that the the Browns, much like the 49ers, are going to wait actually and see if an opening emerges on a team, you know, perhaps because of an injury. Um, There's just not a market for those quarterbacks right now. But I imagine it's also a hedge against the, you know, probability possibility of a Deshaun Watson suspension this season Uh, that's where you go get a guy like Jacoby Brissett who's pretty experienced very experienced actually and can kind of serve as a placeholder for them well Mina we appreciate a few minutes of your time best of luck to your Brooklyn Nets in the play-in game (laughs) on Tuesday night and we'll talk to you again next week hashtag Brooklyn together bye guys (laughs) all right that's ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes on ESPN radio This year marks the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's debut. We'll share a story of his impact next. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E+. And Amber, tragedy struck the National Football League and the family of quarterback Dwayne Haskins early on Saturday morning, he was in a tragic accident where he was hit by a truck trying to cross I-595 in South Florida. And this is just something that you never imagine. A first-round pick a couple of seasons ago, 24 years old, his life cut short. He was down in the South Florida area working with Mitch Trubisky, the other quarterbacks from the Pittsburgh Steelers, along with the skill position players doing passing drills and it's just, it's a tragedy, and of course, our thoughts and prayers go to Dwayne Haskins and his family, but certainly not something that could be expected, and a huge loss for the NFL community. Yeah, huge loss. Uh, the outpouring of support over the last couple of days have been, has been really touching. Obviously, he meant so much to so many people, and not just sports fans, but to his teammates as well, and, and everybody who watched him at Ohio State, uh, you know, his wife. I mean, just such a tragic loss, just so young, and they very obviously had so much love for each other uh, looking at their Instagram accounts, and it's just so terrible. Uh, you know, he was just having fun with other guys on his Instagram story right before his passing. You mentioned he was down there in South Florida to train and so many guys around the league, as you know, Chris go down to South Florida to train. And a lot of the best training facilities for NFL players are right there off of 595 out West in Broward County. And it's just devastating news for somebody who is just so young and so tragic. And it has really rocked the world of so many people in the NFL community. Yeah, and Amber, the part that that hurts the most is that Dwayne Haskins seemed like he was trying to get both his life and his career back on track. And you heard glowing things from his former teammates at Ohio State, from guys that were with him in Washington, but particularly with the guys that were in Pittsburgh, you know, T.J. Watt to Ben Roethlisberger. Seems like a lot of guys in that locker room had a lot of respect for him. He always had a smile on his face, according to their comments And it just seemed like this was a guy that was in a situation, in an environment where he could realize his full potential. He was with a functional NFL franchise. And for him to take more responsibility, more accountability in trying to improve as a player and being a better teammate in Pittsburgh than he was in Washington, I think it's just sad to not see the ending of that story because – he, he was a first-round pick for a reason. The guy set the world on fire in his season starting at Ohio State. He was phenomenal. And the fact that we weren't able to see the end of that story, 
it's just it's disappointing. So again, our condolences, our thoughts and prayers with the Haskins family. Dwayne Haskins, a life cut way short. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Kenny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. ESPN Radio is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And Amber, every April 15th is a special day in baseball. But this year, it's the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson shattering the color barrier and setting the stage for a momentous change in society. Robinson was on the front lines of the battle for equality and justice, and when he was in the military, he confronted and challenged racism. Today, an accomplished jazz artist shares a unique perspective on that defining episode in Robinson's life, part of our series, Black History Always. In honor of Jackie Robinson, an American hero, my own personal hero, I have written a suite called Stealing Home with little vignettes addressed to aspects of of Jackie or his career. What led me to Stealing Home and that piece there was the rhythmic nature of this guy's name. I kept saying Robinson, Robinson. So I finally got Robinson, Robinson. And then when I addressed the idea of his period in the military, see, that's when I started to to get into Jackie Robinson's head. I said, so this guy, he was drafted into the military. Jackie went to boot camp like everybody else, became a good marksman with the M1, was a good soldier, was a good American. And at that point, they needed some black officers. He becomes a a commissioned second lieutenant. Now, he had some bad experiences in the Army, especially as an officer. They're on a military installation, and this local bus driver, not in the military, tells him to go to the back of the bus. But this is probably 10 years before Rosa Parks. In that particular instance, Coach Jackie said, oh, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm a commissioned officer in the United States Army. This guy tells me, you can't sit here in this part of the bus, go to the back. What? Right? And there's this woman sitting there, a white woman, who said, I'll, I'll get off the bus or I'll call the police or whatever. He said, you realize I'm getting ready to go to Germany and fight these Germans for you? What, what is this? You want me on the back of the bus here, but now when I get over there and I'm, we're facing these panzers, this German infantry, where do you want me then? You want me on, on the back or you want me in the front? You see, so th- there's a lot of pain here. And so I decided to address that facet of his life because I think that may have been Jackie Robinson's introduction to what things were going to be like when he got into baseball, except that it was going to go up exponentially. Lieutenant Jackie is the first cut on the CD that Bobby Bradford and his friends recorded in honor of Jackie Robinson's 100th birthday three years ago. It's titled Stealing Home. 
Please join us again tomorrow as we count down to April 15th with another firsthand reflection in our series, Jackie to Me. And Amber, it's such a great thing that our company is doing along with Major League Baseball and celebrating the life and the legacy of Jackie Robinson this week. It's awesome to to hear these features and get more insight on somebody that dramatically changed not only the landscape of sports in this country, but the fabric of our society. Yeah, Jackie Robinson never stopped breaking barriers. I mean, we all know about the barriers, of course, that he broke in baseball, where he just totally changes the world of sports, which is the world that you and I, of course, have dedicated our lives to. But he later went on to become the first African-American named a vice president at a Fortune 500 company. He was an advisor to politicians. He started a bank and housing development company. He was a key uh, figure, of course, in advancing equal opportunity and first-class citizenship for all Americans during the civil rights movement. Jackie Robinson did so much with his life in and outside of sports. I think that legacy is just really, really important to note that this extends so far beyond baseball, and it's great that our company takes that time to showcase everything that his life meant. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. Amber, let's go out to the Canny call-in line and bring on Bill in Detroit, who wants to defend you in our quarterback controversy. Oh. Bill, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? Hey, Kenny. Hey, first of all, I loved when you were with Golick. I love when you were with Amber. I don't think it's said enough. Uh, but um, a lot of love and a lot of prayers out to Dwayne Haskins' wife and his family and just amazing things that are going on with with Robinson and, and the legacy that he leaves. However, Kenny, you might have had the worst take ever. Now, you didn't differentiate, and you said that uh, all the teams that, that made the playoffs from their division, you said they had the best quarterbacks. Now, I would challenge that I would take Herbert. I would take Herbert definitely over Derek Carr. I would take Russ You wouldn't over take Herbert Jimmy over Pat Mahomes. I, I said won the division. No, 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 no. But you did not say the, the Raiders. The Raiders you said I, make the playoffs. I said won the division. You said make I said the playoffs. no, no, Bill. Bill, Bill, Bill. No, I didn't. I said all the teams that you won gonna, their division last year so had the best quarterback. You're going to take, take Burrow over Lamar? Yeah, yeah. Did you see what Joe Burrow has done in two seasons in Cincinnati? Joe Burrow has been to a Super Bowl in year two in Cincinnati. Now, I'm not taking anything away from Lamar Jackson. I think he's a phenomenal talent. But okay. remember, when Joe Burrow was coming out, people said that Joe Burrow should hold out so he wouldn't go to Cincinnati. He had his rookie year cut short with a knee reconstruction, came back in the next season. He did. The very next season, the most sacked quarterback in the NFL and took that team to the Super Bowl. I think I think we're going to have to call it a split decision now. One well, more you got better quarterback play from Joe Burrow last year than Lamar Jackson. So that's the point. Like, you got better quarterback will, play okay. from Joe Burrow than Lamar Jackson. That's not debatable. Yeah, Lamar, so, Lamar, I mean, Lamar has won an MVP. It's something Joe Burrow hasn't done. I think we're splitting hairs because of the success that Joe Burrow, of course, had this past season. Lamar Jackson, a very injured team for the Ravens. So, fine. Obviously, this past season, Joe Burrow definitely had the far better season. But, hey, I shout out to Bill for trying to defend me. Oh, no doubt. I mean, Bill did his thing. He came in there hot, guns blazing, and I don't blame him for caping for you, Amber, because I think it's a splitting hairs conversation when it comes to Tua and Mac Jones. 